Okay, everybody, welcome to Investing with IBD, sponsored by Growth Stock Mentor. It's Justin Nielsen, your host, and I'm joined, as always, by Arusha Pires, also known as The Other Guy. It's Wednesday. <laughs> it's Wednesday, November 10th, 2021. And as our special guest today, we have Scott Bennett with two T's returning to the show. He is the founder of InvestingWithRules.com. Welcome back, Scott. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and great to join you. Yeah, absolutely. Great to have you as well. So on today's show, we're going to talk a little bit about the markets, a rough day today, uh, but not completely unexpected. We'll also hear about Scott's trend roadmap, how he kind of stays in sync with the way that the trends are moving in stocks. Uh, and he'll give us some ideas that are on his radar right now. So uh, let's go ahead and start it off. Let's talk about markets. So the NASDAQ composite, of course, uh, was leading the downside today. Uh, closing below its 10-day moving average line, um, but still above the 21-day moving average line. That 21-day moving average line, still above the 50-day moving average line. Um, you know, again, we were getting a little extended. We had a lot of days up in a row, so uh, doesn't quite look broken to me. Uh, what's, what is your take, Scott? Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm currently asking myself three questions. So number one is, will the U.S. economic growth continue? Number two, will the slowdown in China stabilize? And then number three is, we are within kind of one and a half percent of all-time highs on the S&P, maybe three percent on the Nasdaq, and kind of where do we go from here? So number one, um, despite the supply chain issues, despite despite the fact that the Fed is going to be tapering at the end of this month with a little less bond buying. Um, what I'm currently seeing is the, the September, the seven-day average new case count of COVID peaked. And at that same time, a lot of the economic data had its kind of support. And you're kind of seeing a convergence where you're seeing more economic growth in regards to employment, um, in regards to the service sector. So it, it does appear that in Q4, possibly Q1 as well, the growth should continue. With China, will it stabilize? I don't, I don't know if anyone totally knows how much um, trillions of dollars is on the bank loan side and what could potentially default. Um, but what I'm looking at personally is FXI, large cap Chinese tech stocks. And so far, they're holding the lows of October. Um, so far, KWeb, the China internet stocks, are holding the lows from August. So you're, you're seeing this kind of stabilization. And then finally, in regards to the market, it's made something like 60 all-time highs. So where are we at now? It, I guess there's kind of the, the cause for concern. Obviously, we've come up a long way since the October 14th market and uptrend. Um, it's gone up a little over 7%, which is wonderful. But we've come a, lot, a long way pretty quick. And maybe to me, what we're seeing is on the short term, we're kind of forming the the William O'Neill handle to a lot of cup formations at the moment. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it looks like we're probably most likely heading potentially higher. And the reason I say that is a lot of the economic sensitive sectors like energy, like financials um, and materials, they were leading the way before October 14th. So that's what I'm currently seeing. But I, I always want to take a step back and not get too ingrained in the story or the narrative. So what I personally use, um, my primary research is I look at billion dollar fund managers and what they're buying and selling. But this trend roadmap is a technical non-opinion way that I look at every uh, tradable asset. So whether it's an ETF or a stock, I, I run it through this nine stage 
model. And what it's simply doing is it's looking at its trend. So is it, is it a buy? Is it an uptrend? Is it more neutral, more of a hold or a downtrend? And when I look at that right now, the S&P 500 is both on a kind of a weekly, monthly, and a shorter term basis. It's in an uptrend still, despite kind of the, the slight pullback. And then if we look at uh, Chinese tech stocks and Chinese stocks in general, they're still in a downtrend, which started all the way back in February. It got worse in March and April. It's been kind of heading downward, um, more or less stabilizing now. But that's what I see when I look at everything. Mm-hmm. I can now, overview there. Now, now Scott, are, are you... Are, are you looking both at the NASDAQ and S&P to get your insight? So so uh, right now, Justin, how many distribution days do we have on the NASDAQ? Maybe like two, two I, or three, well, right? Well, I'm, I'm assuming it, if volume comes in heavier today, so we yeah. don't have the official volume today, but this would be, this would be number two. Um, and, okay. and one of those was a stall day. So we actually had a distribution day that dropped off because of progress, you know, we made that progress so quickly um, that, you know, we, we tend to not count distribution days um, when they get too old, you know, once they get beyond their 25 day window, or when we've made enough progress, 5%, you know, uh, above the distribution day, well, then it's not quite as relevant anymore. But we did see some stalling action right there around 16,000 on the NASDAQ. So that was something that that did trigger. Okay, so so let's assume that today was a distribution day. It was a pretty bad day for for the indexes, but even more importantly for for a number of growth stocks, which you know, as Scott was saying, wasn't necessarily surprising because we run up quite a bit. So two distribution days, we'll assume on the Nasdaq, maybe three on the S and P. Scott, are are you now? It sounds like you're applying the nine stage kind of analysis to both. I mean, we, you spoke about the S&P. Are you t- applying it also to the NASDAQ? Are you applying to any other U.S. indexes? Uh, because, uh, and just very briefly with, with, with China, the way I look at China, and obviously China is in, tro- is in trouble and maybe it gets worse, but, uh, or may- maybe it's already been kind of baked into the whole thing. But if China continues to struggle, the way I look at that is that could be a positive for the U.S. markets because now even more money could flow back in uh, to the U.S. markets. But Scott, are, so are you looking at the S&P, NASDAQ, any other U.S.-based indexes to get your insight? Um, I do. So I look at about a little over 100 ETFs. Um, wow. And I, I, I do... You asked the I question, Arusha. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a five-hour episode. <laughs> It's gonna it's gonna be long. No, uh, so I do look at uh, I do look at a lot, um, uh-huh. and that allows me to find kind of the needle in the haystack. So kind of is there a bull market somewhere? I do a deeper dive once a week, um, and I've actually, um, which we'll go into a little bit later, but I've actually kind of codified it where some of it is done with a little bit of automation. I just review it. So, but what I, a really interesting storyline that didn't make that much headline news was in September, the ETF provider VanEck, they actually closed two ETFs. Um, they were FRAK, which is oil and gas, and then emerging market debt. And I think they, 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 they start ETFs because of demand, but then they usually fade them when there's, there's, they're not profitable. They're not, there's not that much demand. Again, I, I'm not a full expert in that particular, those two ETFs, but they're not around anymore. So when you look at the emerging market debt, to me, that's a little bit of a contrarian, contrarian indicator that maybe that the bottom is, I mean, obviously oil and gas has done exceptional this year, but it actually looks kind of that note could be seen as positive. 
a positive for the emerging markets and uh, which is which I, I I would tend to agree with you because it's the news is so bad over there that it's almost you know it's the opposite of the buy the news sell the rumor right with uh, I think with what well, Evergrande I, I thought I saw I, I, I didn't I thought I saw something that they were they were defaulting on more debt um, so if that's the case, you know, you could be getting the final news where, hey, you might have the capitulation, you might get everyone who's going to ever get out of the Chinese markets out. And and now the those markets might have a chance to go sideways for, for a while and build a bottom. Yeah, I also wonder about that kind of contrarian thing. So you mentioned frack, which, um, you know, it, it's, Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's kind of a little bit more. It was a little bit more specific, not just oil and gas broadly, but kind of the unconventional uh, oil and gas. So, uh, judging by the ticker symbol, and again, I don't remember what companies were in there, but judging by the ticker symbol and how fracking kind of got, you know, hey, when you you need to have high prices for oil in order to make fracking work economically, and I just wonder if, again, getting back to Rusha's point on the contrarian side. The fact that there was so little interest in it to where they're like, oh, yeah, we just are going to close this out. Um, does that mean, hey, if oil and gas starts getting really expensive again, oh, fracking is back or you know, something? I don't know. Yeah. And Arushi, you make a good point that that money has to go somewhere. So that's uh, it'll be interesting to see where it lands. Now, now, Justin, getting to your point, too, and, and, and Scott's original point with the frack. There, there must have been some winners. I, I'm, I'm just, I was just trying to think of who were the winners there. I know a lot of them were going out of business, but there, there are probably a few winners that they are going to take more of the market share there. So that, that is really interesting, especially if the oil continues to keep going up because now it's going to be very profitable for them. Yeah. And it sounds like you're, you know, just to kind of recap, you know, because I, again, when some people say, oh, you track 100 indexes, um, that's really, I guess, to drill down, if you will, to almost like specific groups and specific areas. Is that right? It is. So I, I mean, definitely the, the major market um, indexes, I, I share kind of more or less with members every day. Mm -hmm. But some of the smaller ones, it, it really helps you to see that there's always something that's that's doing well. So a good example is, um, now, well, you've seen the COVID case count pull back, and it's kind of more or less stabilized at the moment. But all of a sudden, last week, you saw airlines pop up again. So, mm -hmm. and that's a sector that, or an industry group that has not done very well. And you'd expect that we've joined the recovery party, and so far, it really hasn't. But jets actually is kind of perking up a little bit. So, it does lend me to kind of when you look at this nine stages, three stages are buys from the bottom and the kind of the intermediary in the, in the middle and at the top, and then three are holds, three are sells. And you're kind of looking at it from a longer term perspective. And what it does is I also look at some inverse ones as well. So when the market yeah. does experience pain, there's always something going up. Right. Yeah, sometimes you have to look at the inverse. So one one final note on just the the market wrap up. Uh, there was you know one of the headlines today in terms of inflation numbers jumping. Um, 
biggest jump since 1990. You know, a lot of people concerned with uh, the Fed maybe having to do that, you know, rate hike a little bit sooner than expected. I mean, we were already kind of dealt with the taper. I think uh, the response to that news was was pretty much priced in. Not a big story there, but uh, with inflation data and, of course, a lot of people looking at the 10-year Treasury, if you pull up 0TNX, the 10-year Treasury yield, um, that was that was spiking a bit today. Um, is, is that fitting into any of your models? You know, it's um, it, it, I mean, today was a day where no one wants to see yields go up too fast. I think that, right. that also terrifies the market. But yeah. what, what, what I, I actually saw that the, the TLT long bonds actually started showing some strength the last few weeks. And to me, it's a little unexpected because you know that the Fed is going to be uh, pulling back on the bond buying program. So you'd expect this not to last too long. But right. The, so even though it kind of, it, it is showing strength at everything in your, 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 your gut, sometimes your opinions are overlay, but the, the math shows that it's still kind of hanging in there. But today was your first day of, of true weakness on the bond market. Mm-hmm. Okay. When we get back, we're going to get into this whole idea of, you know, with all of these ETFs that you're tracking, um, how do you find where the trends are starting? And let's get a little bit more into that nine stages. So we'll get right into that in our second segment. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Bill O'Neill, founder of IBD and a legend in the world of growth stock investing, mentored Jim Ropel, and it changed Jim's life. Now, Jim is here to mentor you. Take your free trial on growthstockmentor.com. Every week, you'll get Jim's thoughts on the market, his ride the wave plan, Jim's favorite true market leaders, two updates each week, and a live members only meeting once a month. Also, you can ask Jim anything, anytime, 24 seven. Take your free trial on growthstockmentor.com now. Okay, welcome back to Investing with IBD, sponsored by Growth Stock Mentor. It's Justin Nielsen, your host, that other guy, Arusha, (laughs) joining me again, as he does every week, and Scott Bennett, our guest from investingwithrules.com. So uh, let's talk a little bit about trends and how you track them. Nine stages, uh, it seems like you can get into a really deep dive here, and this is all rules-based. So maybe you can walk us through a little bit of your process, Scott. Absolutely happy to. So again, investwithrules.com is where I can be found. My two primary uh, research programs, number one is billion dollar fund managers, but the second one is um, in regards to what I call the trend roadmaps. I'm going to dive into that and again, ask any questions. Mm -hmm. So here we go. So the the trend roadmap, whether the trend is going up or the trend is going down, there's always nine distinct stages. And what I'm simply trying to look for is more optimal buy points and as well as more optimal sell points. And in my opinion, an investor can use this for, again, more on the buy point side, if you're adding over time. Um, And then this is a little bit more for a trader, they can find this more useful. So how does it actually work? So if I show more of a weekly trend and a monthly trend, um, what it's actually doing is it's actually kind of cherry picking a mathematical point that would be more optimal for an entry on an uptrend and more optimal for an exit on a downtrend. And how it's working, it's it's based on price. It's based on kind of price movement over multiple timeframes, as well as relative strength and a few other indicators that, that provide me an awful lot more confidence for kind of buying with more clarity and selling with a whole lot less worry. So again, you have your uptrends, it's identifying, it's identifying neutral trends, 
where the, it's kind of moving more sideways. And then finally, it's identifying a downtrend. And after something has gone down a lot, like we saw in 2020, the recoveries are amazing. So I always like to find things that are um, just after the downtrend has exhausted. Uh -huh. So the weekly trend has three potential possibilities. It's at any given one moment, it's either in an uptrend, a neutral, or a downtrend. So there's just three. There's no alternatives. And then the monthly, it's just three as well. Uptrend, neutral, and downtrend. Three times three equals nine. So that's where it puts it. So um, you can kind of quantify where something is at any given moment to provide you that extra level of confidence. And I apply it to stocks and I apply it to ETFs. So whether the it's going up and it's uptrending, or it's actually downtrending. It's in one of these nine stages. So to make it a little bit more come to color into life, um, the last time I was on the show was in March. Um, and what I saw was kind of the second half. It was just the reopening story. You're starting to see more uh, economically sensitive sectors come to life. And then one month later, I saw technology. And I said to uh, my readers at Invest With Rules, I said, tech is down, but not out. And how on earth did I know that? I was using the trend roadmap and pretty much what I saw from all of 2021, you were in this um, stage one, which is you're in an uptrend on both the, the weekly and the monthly. And then all of a sudden in March, you actually specifically on the NASDAQ, you started to see some weakness come in at the end of February. And then you actually got your very first, because there's three, three cell areas. So there's, you get three kind of warnings. I got one on the NASDAQ. So it, after that, the market did kind of pull down as you can see on the chart, and then it kind of started to move sideways and it wasn't anything more than what we saw. And this, the S and P didn't experience as difficult of a time as the NASDAQ. And then it was kind of off and running. So now, Scott, just, just to interrupt here just briefly. Uh, so in that February, when, when it was coming down, is it identified with the two and the three as kind of the, the sell points or? Yeah, so, so how I personally use it is a two is more of a kind of a cautionary where you're kind of forming, you've been moving sideways, you haven't made any price uh, appreciation for a while. Yeah. And it's starting to kind of form a top. Um, and then the three, sometimes it comes quickly after the two and the three just simply means that the shorter term indicators are, are, are kind of tipping over and you're seeing weakness. Now, if you're a longer term holder, you can kind of patiently wait. It's just your first um, kind of warning shot. Um, but if you go back this model, when 2020 happened during the coronavirus, on February 25th, so right, right at the beginning, you got your first warning, it would be a stage three. So it, it can lead to a lot more devastation, but there are times where it's just a kind of a warning and then it, it, it comes right back. Okay. And for those of you who are listening to this, you can always go to investors.com slash podcast to see the video version and, and the examples that Scott is showing. And what you can see then in April, um, you kind of you kind of went back to a neutral. So it kind of kind of fades back and then it kind of just ripped right back out. And I always think stage ones where the uptrend on the weekly and the monthly, they can last a lot longer than you think, as we have seen the NASDAQ do incredibly well all the way up until September. So I'm going to jump 
to my other part of my research, which is billion dollar fund managers. And I track what they're buying from a dollar perspective. I track from a share accumulation perspective and I track market capitalization impacts. And then we'll kind of, this also coincides the secondary, which is, are we in this uptrend environment where it's time to be buying this stuff that I can see billion dollar fund managers buying? And the one huge takeaway that is so important is billion dollar fund managers, they need to buy and sell slowly. So it gives right. us the opportunity to get in before they're done buying or get out before they're done selling. Mm -hmm. So what I saw on my May billion dollar fund manager report, which again, everything is always 30 day lag. Uh, everything is uh, um, no insider trading, uh, but the, the major sectors that I saw, and I'll give some stocks too, are technology was the bigger buying, financials and energy. In June, it was tech financials materials and tech financials energy. So these are the sectors that really have led the way. I'm not totally surprised. That's where these billion dollar fund managers were buying. A couple names that hit my radar um, earlier this year was NVIDIA. Um, that was one of the major uh, tech items. More recently, uh, I've seen billion dollar fund managers actually selling NVIDIA and they're not selling with impact. They're just kind of profit taking because it's gone up so much. Right. So when it does make these big run-ups, that's how they profit take. Um, in the June report, one of the bigger names was Coinbase, which has done exceptional. Um, on the July report was Airbnb. Um, a couple other names that were kind of notable, which is like, gosh, I should have, you can't buy everything, but like in May was Avis was on there. Oh, wow. Um, oh, yeah. And June was MongoDB, which I never know if I'm saying that right. And then July had um, Netflix on there as well. Mm -hmm. um, coming back to the, I'll come back to the billion dollar funds in a moment, but we're going back to the trend roadmap. I want to share with you an example of this year where the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ both came under pressure in September. So again, you're in this stage one uptrend, uptrend on the monthly and the, and the weekly. And then all of a sudden it started to flash a two and kind of give you another warning shot. That warning shot happened in September. Um, it was on the 14th. And then what I simply did, I, I don't always, but I actually hedged a little bit. Um, and then the market pulled back. Um, for most of the end of September. And then I'm going to zoom in a little bit. Why I was tipped off that I didn't think this was going to be a massive pullback and why I took the hedges off on the 22nd. Um, so September 22nd, the model, it kind of went back to a stage one. So IYE, which is energy stocks, became a buy in the model. Then on 10.1, uh, GBTC or Bitcoin, so then on 10.5 was financials, 10.6 was coin or Coinbase. Um, and then I, it kind of flushed back to a stage two as the markets now found footing. And then AMD was a buy on 10.13. And then we had the marketing confirmed uptrend, which perfectly correlated with IBD um, was the SPY. So there's always these, I always get fascinated when I see in, investors business daily charts and you see exactly when specific stocks break out before like the markets can confirm uptrend because those are probably some of your leaders. Um, and that's exactly what happened here. Yeah, so it really was giving, and, and this is something that we were talking about real time over the last few podcasts. Um, you know, hey, it's like, 
gosh, as, as bad as the indexes look, there are these stocks that are still looking interesting. And so you've just really you know, come up with a system to kind of quantify this. And, and, and just to make sure I'm clear, so you're, you're, you're showing um, you know, the, the, the one is kind of the start, the two, a little bit neutral, three, you know, a little bit more trouble, but then that going back to two, that's, that's a positive sign. So even though it's, it's kind of a neutral-ish, it's the turn from three to two is, is what you're keying off as, as, as being a, a positive, right? Yeah, all the neutrals is if we're in an uptrend, that's where I go fishing. That's where I look for great ideas. Um, and then you want to hit, you want to buy the position, whether it's an index or a stock, the moment it hits the the buy stages. And it, I always think of it kind of like a running back when if you don't kind of a football running back, if you don't hit the hole at the right time, then the hole closes and you right. don't get any yards. So if you wait, like, so if someone's buying a lot, as of we're filming this, then the buy was all the way back on in October. And now we're in November and it's getting more rocky. So you have to take action quicker. Mm -hmm. And um, are you using, well, I guess in, in some ways when, when you start seeing um, these threes start appearing, um, is, is that again, you're, you're kind of lightening up or uh, if you're early, in the stage, like, you know, when you were saying that you, you had that big uptrend in November that started in November, um, is the first two or three, is that something that you're like, hey, I, I'm just going to hold through this, I'm going to note it? Or are you taking action? Are you pulling back? How much are you pulling back? You, you mentioned that you hedged in September. Uh, I guess, what was the difference between hedging in September and maybe not hedging in, the, in March? Yeah, it's a really good question. So the way I kind of think about it is kind of making a determination before you hit the buy button. So are is someone more of a trader or more of an investor? And if someone's more of a trader, and I mean, I absolutely adore what William O'Neill put together in the seven to 8% stop losses, you have to use the three or, or when the, when the, 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 the weekly starts tipping over and starting looking negative, that, that's yourself. So if not, then you're going to probably go over your seven to 8% stop loss. Mm -hmm. But if someone's more of an investor, um, so I tend to be most of the time more of an investor when I'm using the stocks. So the billion dollar fund manager stocks, um, I'm more of an investor. I hold for a lot longer. I strive for a year and a day if I can, as long as there's billion dollar fund managers buying. But for ETFs, I'm a little bit more of a trader. Mm. So, so for an investor, you can sometimes even ignore stage three. I, I get more concerned on stage sixes and nines because that means that something's really wrong. Right. Um, but so it's a little bit different given kind of your psyche and how much, uh, how active you are. Hmm. Now, point. Scott, how, when, when, when it's starting to come back up to, to maybe going from a stage, from, from a two to, to a one, uh, one on your charts, how many stocks are generally bubbling up to the surface to kind of identify that, hey, these might be uh, some of the stocks. And also, are you noticing that as the days go by, more stocks are coming up on the radar as if, if the market's improving? Um, so I would say that, so I'm watching a lot um, and I've using some technology that helps a lot too, but you're absolutely right. So when, when we're in kind of today's environment, a lot of stocks are already in a stage one. So they've already kind of bypassed the, the pullback that happened in September, that, that's long history for them. Some of them are already up 10, 20, 30%. So, so a lot of them are kind of through the system. 
Um, where I get the most kind of um, excited um, because it has the most potential, also the most risk is something when you're able to buy in a lower stage, like a stage seven, where the weekly isn't an uptrend, but you're still kind of in a downtrend. Yeah. So that's where you have the most potential. Um, and then what happens is when like in 2020, I'll take the S&P 500 or NASDAQ in April, it flashed to stage seven. And then in May was a stage four. And then, mm -hmm. it, and then, it, and then it goes right to a one. So it actually jumps really fast. Wow. Wow. Um, it goes bye, bye, bye really fast. And it doesn't have any kind of cool off because it's just kind of accelerating. Hmm. And you know what? Uh, I guess one of the things that is, is interesting about that is a lot of times, at least I find, is when, when you're kind of in that downtrend and as you said, you've got all that potential, you know, because you're maybe closer to the lows, uh, you know, sometimes you can have uh, a, a nice small stop in a way, you know, where you're not risking too much, but you have all that potential. Is, is that something that you find as well? Um, I do. So my biggest fear is you kind of say, to members or to myself, I, I buy a stage seven, it always could kind of in theory roll over, right. um, but it does have the most potential. So yeah. um, I'll give an example of a stock that I don't know if it'll work out or not, but like um, Chewy, uh, the e-commerce pet uh -huh. supply store is in a stage seven right now as of we're filming. Um, and I mean, it's hard because you go out to look for news articles and if uh, something unfortunately happens to your pet, they send you flowers and it goes viral and everything you read is beautiful when you when you want to find something exciting about a stage seven. So it's just trying to then find, okay, am I seeing at least consecutive billion dollar fund manager buying? Um, what's going what's gonna to kind of occur? And then because you're always on a 30 day lag versus like a 13F, which could be like a four and a half month lag, um, you're getting in earlier, but it's still... You're, I, I can't help but be excited about stage sevens and fours. It's just, it, that's where the real opportunities are. Great. Well, we'll get into some more of the stocks that are on your radar and maybe those uh, future potential opportunities when we come back. So stay tuned. Bill O'Neill, founder of IBD and a legend in the world of growth stock investing, mentored Jim Ropel and it changed Jim's life. Now, Jim is here to mentor you. Take your free trial on growthstockmentor.com. Every week, you'll get Jim's thoughts on the market, his ride the wave plan, Jim's favorite true market leaders, two updates each week, and a live members only meeting once a month. Also, you can ask Jim anything, anytime, 24-7. Take your free trial on growthstockmentor.com now. Okay, welcome back to Investing with IBD, sponsored by Growth Stock Mentor. It's Justin Nielsen, your host, along with Arusha Pires and our special guest, Scott Bennett, from investwithrules.com. So just in case I mispronounced that earlier, it's invest, not investing, it's investing with IBD and it's investwithrules.com. So uh, Scott, we were talking a little bit about your trend roadmap, uh, your billion dollar funds kind of juxtaposing those together and that kind of gives you some, some stock ideas uh, and, and maybe helps you with your timing. So anything on your radar right now? Yeah, so to start with uh, Airbnb, Airbnb, um, and the reason it's on my radar, it's, it's, it's in a stage one, obviously it's done quite well uh, from past earnings, but the reason it's on my radar is because billion dollar fund managers have kind of in, almost insatiably bought this stock. So for the last five months, there have been anywhere between 
$83 million worth of shares to as high as $253 million worth of shares. So consecutively, I, I haven't seen this very often. The last time I saw huge buying like this was in 2020, um, the stock was Horizon Therapeutics. And that was, mm -hmm. they kind of got offline because the vaccines took over. So anyone with kind of a, an eye issue, that's kind of your, your, your kind of biotech of choice. But Airbnb um, is on my radar, number one, because of billion dollar fund manager buying. And then number two, um, there, according to Airbnb, there, there really is a travel revolution happening. So um, what's actually going on now is this work from home is turning into work from any home. Mm -hmm. And what's going on is people are more flexible. They're staying at these Airbnbs longer. Um, this is um, what's really interesting is people really want more of an experience after not traveling for so long. And then being a host at an Airbnb is actually turning into a full-time job for a lot of people. And there's a story I came across, his name was Brian Page, a guy that was kind of a real estate mogul, got hit in 2008, found Airbnb in 2014, somehow, someway, using other people's homes, was got to five properties, 10 properties, started traveling a ton. Um, next thing you know, he outsourced all of his Airbnb duties. So he sold a lot of this kind of knowledge to people. Now Airbnb calls that a super host and they'll teach you that on their own. So they, they're, they're growing and they have a lot of momentum behind it and not to mention impressive sales numbers and impressive earnings this past quarter. Yeah. I, I, I got to say that, I mean, sometimes I just hearing my wife on TikTok, sometimes uh, there's these you know folks that are like, they're doing the Airbnb um, their Airbnb business while they travel, uh, all over the place. And, you know, they kind of just run their business from the computer and, you know, kind of do their hosting duties. Uh, they have everything contracted out. So, you know, not only is it providing that experience for the consumer, but it's also kind of, uh, intriguing for the entrepreneurs that are, you know, going on the, Hey, I'm going to be a host side. So I, it's really interesting that you bring that up. I should say, I, I do own shares of Airbnb. So, mm. It's okay. good that I'm going along with the, the billion dollar funds. Right. And, and, and so you, you mentioned that this information that you're getting, Scott, it's not like you're doing insider information. You're, you're getting this information delayed, but these funds are buying you know, slowly. It's not like they are all buying at once. It's one of those things where they have to buy, a, you know, they'll buy a few shares. And when I say a few, I mean like maybe hundreds of thousands um, at a time, but it's, going to be over a 30 day, 40 day period or longer. Um, so being behind the ball, the eight ball on terms of the timing, isn't necessarily a bad thing because their horizon is so long. It, it is. And on top of that, when I see Airbnb, when, when I see buying at this kind of pace, at this kind of large dollars, large share accumulation, market capitalization impact, so their buying is impacting the market cap, when I see that in the market, maybe it's gone up about 30, 40% so far from the bottom. Um, to me, that this pullback could very likely be the handle we've been waiting for if you're not in it yet. Obviously manage your risk, but that's something where I, could, I couldn't imagine a fund, they're in this for the next three, five, 10 years for the whole story um, versus just accepting a 30% gain. Yeah. yeah I'll go ahead, Arusha. Well, Airbnb reported earnings a few days ago. They had the, the really strong earnings reaction. So in many ways, that, that was the, the report that probably convinced 
even more funds to start getting into it. So it, it kind of, you know, it becomes like a snowball effect, right? The the first funds were the ones that build out the bottom. Now the earnings reaction comes, it jumps up. You see the huge volume spike there, starting to pull back on lighter volume. Now more funds are starting to realize, hey, we probably should get some Airbnb in the the um, in our portfolio, and and all of this it just takes time. Yeah, and to your point earlier, you know this pullback that we're seeing in the market indexes, uh, as you mentioned, you know sometimes that's gonna make some of these handles appear that you were kind of waiting for. So it's kind of a, again, a nice juxtaposition there. So let's go ahead and move on a little bit to the cryptocurrency space. And Coinbase has been something that you mentioned um, was kind of on your billion dollar fund radar uh, previously, and then also kind of got some recent signals. So what, what is it about Coinbase? And is there kind of a fundamental story that you're looking at behind this as well? I mean, it certainly has some, some really strong numbers that it's coming out with. Yeah, if you were to go to the weekly, I mean, you can see that they they actually reported earnings last night. And although they missed on revenue and earnings, this the numbers were still staggering. So, right. um, I mean, just triple digit earnings, triple digit sales, um, really impressive. And Coinbase is interesting where they make a lot of their kind of additional momentum around volatility. And there wasn't that much volatility in Q3 where there was in Q2 and there so far there is in Q4. So in their earnings report, which stands out like probably why billion dollar fund managers are there is they released some October information so far to kind of kick us off for Q4. And what they showed was that their, their monthly transacting users, their MTUs, are up about 58%. So from 7.4 million, and that's simply people who own one or one or more products on Coinbase. So their volume is drastically increasing and their users are drastically increasing so far in October. So this very likely pullback again, could be your IPO handle um, is what it very likely could be. Um, it's interesting. They also showed in their investor letter, just the momentum and the adoption of crypto is actually on pace with the adoption of the internet. So the, the pace of adoption is fascinating. And I think because they've, um, it's on your phone, it's easy to use. Um, I, I, it's interesting. It's the, the commissions aren't egregious in any way, but they're, they're high enough where it's impactful. And I assume most of Wall Street wants in on a lot of this commissions. Now, Scott, uh, well, first, I should mention that I do own, own shares of Coinbase, too. So, Scott, I think you're just looking at my portfolio. Um, but uh, it, Or are you looking at his? Or maybe I'm looking at his. Uh, but, uh, Scott, so you're using the, the trend analysis and, and some of these names, like a Coinbase, is bubbling up to the surface. Now, are, are you incorporating some of the fundamental analysis, the story part to dig in further at that time? How does that influence it? Or is it still a more a pure kind of uh, quantitative, uh, uh, you know, try, trying to be more objective data in the analysis, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, great question. So uh, I, I'm always forever grateful of Investors Business Daily. So of the CanSlim model, I let the institutional sponsorship, the I, um, that's my billion dollar fund manager data. And that actually runs 
the, the all of the can slim minus the M. The M is my trend roadmap. So okay. I, I let the billion dollar fund managers do all the work. And there's simply the reason is, is as much as I can model uh, a stock and do my best, the reality is, is I would much further rely on billion dollar fund managers, um, huge resources, huge access, and then wildly intelligent and talented staff that they hire. Um, I'll let them do the modeling. I'll just, I'll watch their footprints. But you're, you're still going in reading them kind of like you're the, the data points that you're, you, that you were talking about there. You're still trying to understand why they're getting into it because the reality is they're getting in a lot of stocks, right? Um, so you're, you're still going in doing some kind of uh, research on the companies to say, yeah, you know what, this is the one out of the, the 10 that they're buying over the last quarter that I should get into. I, I feel like I have to. And the reason yeah. is, is because every month there's about 25 to 30 names that received, I mean, almost $150 million plus of share buying, sometimes $100 million, sometimes way over that. Mm -hmm. Their market capitalization impact, so it's impacting the price. And then I'll take last month as an example. Like, I feel like knowing the story and the fundamentals is so important because if not, like, Digital Ocean hit my radar or GXO Logistics. These are some newer companies that you just wouldn't know about otherwise. Right. Um, I, again, I'm reporting tonight. I don't know how it's going to do, but like um, Dutch Bros Coffee. Um, coffee's awfully addicting, but the funds are, um, they're starting, it's kind of starting positions, but I want to see consistency. So you're absolutely right. I, I, I do kind of dig into the numbers. I do look at the companies from a storyline perspective because I just want to make sure that it, it all kind of, kind of, it's all cohesive together. And you, you mentioned how, because I was going to ask this question and you kind of said, you know, sometimes you'll get like 25 names or 30 names or more. Um, so it, is it the fundamental story behind it that kind of gives you that final narrowing down? Or uh, is there, you know, some of these factors like, oh, well, this is the one that got the most, uh, you, you know, are you ranking them based on how much money is going into them? Or if you're seeing maybe a particular, uh, you know, in line with your ETFs, you know, oh, hey, this industry is also getting a lot and these stocks. So what is it that kind of makes the, the cream of the crop uh, rise? Um, so I, I do rank. So the three things that I'm looking at exceptionally close, number one is market capitalization impact, which is just simply how much dollars were purchased divided by the market cap of the stock. Um, and I also, That's my second layer is I want to see multiple funds because you could get tricked by just a smaller bio, biotech stock or something of that nature. So I want to see consistency month over month. Um, I also want to see um, large buying and I want to see impactful buying. And then I, I do like to see at least a sample size of funds that are getting into it because once they've hit kind of a proper threshold of a holding size, typically it's rare, but they don't usually turn back. So once they cross over a very large denomination, somewhere between 50 to $100 million position um, for some of these billion dollar funds, that's, that's not even that much. Um, but once you've started to kind of increase your position size, um, that's usually where they're not gonna turn around the next three months and just kind of let it all go. Good point. So let's go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, you got one more name for us. Uh, what, what do you got there, Scott? I have uh, Academy Sports and Outdoors. We're going to go small cap. So we've been going large and we're kind of working our way down. So ASO. Mm -hmm. um, ASO, 
it, it has been getting some billion dollar, two out of the last three months did get billion dollar fund manager buying on my reports. So that's first sticks out to me. Um, and then there's this underlying kind of boom that's happening that I personally barely take advantage of. So what's going on? There's an actual boom in adventure sports and there's a whole accessories to it. So um, Academy Sports and Outdoors is primarily just based in, in the Southern part of the United States. But what's interesting is if you look at Google search data, if you look at kind of subreddit massive subscription and eyeballs, there's so much attention right now on climbing, fishing, mountaineering, hunting. I just go on dog walks and keep it pretty simple. But, <laughs> but that this lies to the point where we're heading into Q4, we're heading into the holidays and people have been cooped up for a long time and they're getting out and they're, they're definitely searching for this type of stuff. So maybe that's one of the reasons why they like Academy Sports and Outdoors. It's a relatively low PE ratio. They've pulled down a lot of their debt. They have a $500 million buyback. And then you also have double digit sales and earnings. And at some point um, they're, they're, I mean, you can't grow forever and the comparables are going to be a little tougher, but this is a storyline that um, has done really well since its IPO. Yeah, it's really unusual to see something, you know, it just feels like it hasn't really taken a break hardly at all. I mean, this is basically tracked uh, above its 10-week moving average line for most of the time since its IPO. I, I just... It feels like this is something that is very unusual. You usually see, you know, some kind of um, larger base as people are trying to wrap their heads around the business and, and things like that, but it just doesn't seem like the case. And I suppose part of that could be their timing, you know, when, when, they, when their IPO came out. Yeah, I mean, you can compare, a lot of people compare this to Dick's Sporting Goods, mm -hmm. and um, it's kind of pretty comparable. Obviously, this is a lot smaller market cap. Um, so if you look at kind of the weekly, I think they're about 4 billion at the moment. Yeah. Um, so four and a half or so. Four and a half ish. I mean, but yeah, it's, four two. um, it, it seems like at some point, uh, I mean, these, it just keeps getting institutional sponsorship. So until that changes, that's, that's on my list. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, Scott, really thank you uh, so much for joining us again. And uh, again, for people that want to get more information and, you know, possibly get on your email list for your newsletter, uh, that's at investwithrules.com. Uh, so thanks again for being here, Scott. Thank you so much for having me. It was, it was an absolute pleasure. Yeah, lots of fun having you. And uh, next week, make sure you tune in. We are going to have Ross Haber. He's the co-founder of Trader Lion, former William O'Neill and company portfolio manager, a good friend of mine from 20 20 plus years ago. Uh, so it'll be great to talk with him on the podcast. So make sure you tune into that. And uh, thanks for joining us on this episode. We'll see you next time. And for this week's notes and charts, make sure to go to investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.